Hi, everyone. This is Lauren. Just a note from me and Kate at the top of the podcast to say that this episode was recorded three weeks ago, prior to the murder of George Floyd and the protests that followed. Kate and I are both strongly anti-racist and support Black Lives Matter, and we're doing what we can to support, value, and honor BIPOC voices. We have tweeted links to information and ways to support the movement and have included more in the show notes for this episode. We have been and will continue to use our voices and our actions to support and amplify BIPOC voices, and we will continue to educate ourselves. We have said in the past, and we'll say it here again, that we would love the opportunity for your voices to join us on the podcast in whatever way feels right to you. Thank you. Hi, I'm Lauren Hunter. And I'm Kate Vlasic. And this is Generation BSC, the podcast where we read each and every Babysitter's Club book one at a time and deep dive into what they meant to us then, now, and in the future. (laughs) Um, In the future? Are we really predicting what we're going to feel in 10, 20, 30 years about the Babysitter's Club? No, but we are talking about new generations of readers discovering the books and what it may mean to them now. Um, That's fair enough. Okay. I'll allow we, it. <laughs> we may eventually speculate on the future. Who knows what we'll get bored and want to talk about 35 books from now. <laughs> That's true. We do have a lot more books to go, so there's plenty of things that could arise. Good to go. <laughs> <laughs> In the meantime, this week we are talking about Stacy's Mistake. Book number 18 in the series. And we were sort of on with our predictions last week, but I totally blanked on the fact that all the girls go to New York. I, I seriously thought it was only Claudia. Yeah, and I was, well, just completely wrong, as is my normal way. <laughs> um, yeah, the the mistakes were definitely um, interpersonal with the girls, uh, more so than babysitting mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this was another one where the babysitting was like, it was a big driver of what happened in terms of like plot, but it, right. the actual like caring for the kids was pretty incidental to um, what was going on other than like a minor crisis is what brought them all back together. Right. Yeah. It was like one chapter was the babysitting and that was about it. Everything else was like the girls and their interpersonal drama and interactions for sure. Um, but that is... Uh, um, missing the big piece of what this book is and that is this is the homelessness issue book um (laughs) which certainly is i did not obviously neither of us remembered that in our predictions um but this was one as soon as i started reading and they mentioned judy and i went oh yeah yeah um I have some complicated feelings about this one because um, the immediate memories of what my feelings were around Judy um, were, well, spoiler, not great um, because I, 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 well, we'll get into that as we get into how they mm-hmm. depict homelessness, how that interacts with the girl's privilege, how they acknowledge that, how they don't acknowledge that. Um, there's lots to dig into that. But before we get t- um, too far ahead of ourselves... Uh, let's back up and tell the people really what we're talking about today. Um, so I'll kick things off as usual by reading us <clears throat> a dramatic reading of <laughs> the back of the book uh, description. Stacy's so excited. 
She's invited her friends from the Babysitter's Club down to New York City for a long weekend. It's going to be perfect. A party and a sleepover Friday night, a big babysitting job on Saturday, and lots of sightseeing on Sunday. But what a mistake. The Babysitter's Club are way out of place in the big city. Mary Ann sounds like a walking guidebook, Dawn's afraid of everything, Christy can't keep her mouth shut, and Claudia is jealous of Stacy's friends. Does this mean Stacy can't be the Babysitter's Club friend anymore? Will the Babysitter's Club fall apart? Dun dun dun. Well, technically, she's not really in the Babysitter's Club anymore, so... I mean, yeah. I mean, I understand what that meaning is, but it's sort of like, I'm pretty sure the Babysitter's Club's going to continue on without you, Stacey, as harsh as that sounds. Yeah, literally, worst case scenario, the club's not falling apart. You're just no longer part of the group. Right. Your your friendship with the club may no longer exist, but the Babysitter's Club is certainly going to continue. I mean, Mallory and Jesse aren't even there, and they're going to definitely continue the club, as we learned in Mallory's book. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the Mallory's Babysitter's not even... Club will continue. <laughs> Mallory's not even going to wait for them to go out of business. She's just going to like fully yank their um, business model and go forward. Exactly. She's like, guess what? Kids Incorporated is reinstated. You guys are done. I'm going to be 12 soon. I can start babysitting at night. Watch out. You guys are in trouble. Oh, my goodness. And I can't really say anything because I did the exact same thing. Um and but granted, I don't live in their fictional universe, so I get a right. little bit of cover in in that. At least I'm not directly competing with them. Fair. Um, speaking of, um, I don't remember what that transition was, so never mind. Uh- <laughs> okay, so how about I jump in with our slightly more <laughs> fleshed out? That's what I was going to say. Thank you. I was going to try to transition to um, you telling your telling us what actually happened but I don't really have a grasp on what I thought that transition point was going to be so um with that I'll just turn it over to you (laughs) sounds like a plan okay so the Stacey specific plot in this book Stacey's building decides to have a meeting about how to quote-unquote help the homeless individuals in their neighborhood which results in five families asking her to babysit during the meeting she uses this as a reason to invite the rest of the babysitters club Sands, Mallory and Jesse to visit her for the weekend as the girls can team up for a group babysitting job like when Christy's mom was preparing for her wedding Stacey is embarrassed by her friends reactions to everything and gets immediately annoyed with them over the course of the weekend, she realized she is also acting like she knows everything in New York City and has seen it all before and can't be excited or amazed by anything, decides to try to enjoy the city as someone seeing it for the first time would, finally enjoying everything and having fun rather than being above it all. Babysitter's Club generally. The Babysitter's Club takes their big long weekend trip to New York City to visit Stacy. Christy is loud and scoffs at everything, Claudia is jealous of Lane, Dawn is afraid of everything, and Marianne is a walking guidebook that is amazed by everything. Side note, I clearly <laughs> internalized walking guidebook from copying and pasting from the back of the book because I was yep. as you were talking, I was like, oh right, I used that exact phrase. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> um, they don't get along with Lane, mostly due to Claudia acting like a jerk immediately. Immediately upon being introduced and don't know how to act at the party Stacy throws on Friday night. In particular, Marianne first recites New York City architecture facts and then resorts to mocking Don's reactions to the city. And Claudia ends up being a wallflower before cutting in on Christy, who's actually getting along with a boy at the party and dancing with him. The next day, the girls babysit 10 kids and take them to the American Museum of Natural History and the Children's Zoo in Central Park. 
There are some bumps over the course of the afternoon, but everything turns out fine and the girls are all friends again, of course. Lane invites them all to go see Starlight Express that night to try to start over with them, including riding there and back in a limo, and they all end up getting along with Lane and her with them, with Claudia even exchanging phone numbers and addresses with Lane at the end of the night. The girls catch Stacy up on as many Stony Brook details as they can, and it's fun to get those references to prior books that we've already read. Also, Lane proves to be super mature in dealing with the issues with Stacy's friends. Yeah, I could not co-sign that last point more. Lane, um, who really, let's be honest, got kind of a rough introduction, as Claudia so rudely reminds us um, and her in in this, that um, when we first met Stacy, she and Lane were estranged because Lane did not handle Stacy's diabetes very well. Mm-hmm. But as we talked about throughout that book, that that, that was a really slightly more nuanced take on things than right. um, we were obviously presented with at first, which, I, you know, duh, is the point. Um, that being said, it, it didn't exactly lead me to believe that she would automatically be the super mature, like, lead the way, I'm going to um, be the one to stretch out my hand and make things right person. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally, they le- leave that for our girls as to model that good behavior. So that was interesting that they let her have the... Um, not upper hand, but the um, high road, I guess. Yeah. Well, and the thing that's interesting about Lane is, like, when she gets to Stacy's house before the party, she's immediately, like, very nice and, like, excited to meet Stacy's friends from Stony Brook. And, like, Claudia's first statement, I don't have my book in front of me and I didn't actually copy and paste it, but Claudia's immediately like, oh, you're the asshole that was mean to Stacy when she got diabetes. And it's like, okay. I mean, clearly it's a jealousy thing, but it's like, Take a chill pill, Claudia. <laughs> like, Stacy is friends with her again. They've worked out their issues. And yes, obviously, like, when somebody's a shitty person to your friend or, you know, your best friend in particular, it's like, obviously, you're going to hold a little bit of a grudge. But it's like, if they come back around and they're friends again, like, you can't immediately be the asshole. Like, if they're still the, an asshole, then you can jump in and be an asshole to that person. That's a lot of, like, she's and hers and that person's an asshole. And so it's a lot of confusing back and forth than what I just said but like if someone is your friend's friend don't immediately treat them like shit is basically what I'm trying to say (laughs) she came in so hot like I I found the actual this is literally directly from the book so you're the members of the babysitters club said Lane smiling Stacy's told me a lot about you friendly warm welcoming smiling yeah excited to get to know them (laughs) (laughs) um Claudia responds, she's told us about you, too, replied Claudia and added, you're the one she had the big fight with right after she found out she was diabetic, right? (laughs) Whoa. Wow. Wow. Like, Like, girl, calm down. Like, way to take the very worst thing that this poor girl has probably ever done (laughs) and immediately toss it in her face. Like, (laughs) the only way it could have been worse is if she had, um, the next sentence had been, we accepted her for her diabetes right away or something right. along those lines. Or if, and I, since you have the book in front of us, you can tell us what Lane's response to that was. Like, it would have been worse had Lane led with what she responds to Claudia about. But, like, Claudia, she was yeah. trying to befriend you guys. She wants to get to know you. You're her best friend's other best friend. Like, chill. But, yeah, so what What does Lane respond, <laughs> which is pretty much the same in reverse? It, yeah, she's like, and you're the one she had the fight with when your little club almost broke up, which, ooh, that was 
that was a pretty atomic burn there, Lane. The little club in particular was <laughs> exactly um, well. And to be perfectly frank, Claudia almost broke up their club twice, like multiple once, times. Yeah, once was when all of them were fighting with each other, and the other time was when Claudia in particular was an asshole. <laughs> like, exactly. Um, I am. Uh, I, I think that's one of the things that I'm enjoying more and more as we go through these books. Is um, they really do as we. Um, hypothesized earlier um, allow the girls to start being more mm-hmm. wrong and, 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 and screw up and be kind of jerks and um, do the wrong thing and not be so sickeningly perfect which is really um, is, is a lot more interesting for me to read and I think it's got to be feel a lot better for kids I, I certainly felt um, seen when you know Claudia said something snotty that I and I didn't have a filter and said something similar or mm-hmm. Like Christy just said something I shouldn't have and ran my big mouth and stuck my foot in it. You know, it, it was like, oh, it's not just me. <laughs> other other right. people do stuff like this too. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially because in the, like we've talked about before, in the early books in this series, all of the bad actors are outside third parties that we never really see again. And so it's a little bit like, Oh, our poor babysitters, they do everything right and they have to deal with these difficult people trying to ruin their lives. How how are they ever going to overcome it? And now it's sort of transi- transition to, oh, our babysitters are girls that we know and love, but they're like me. You know, like a exactly. kid reading this would, would be very able, very much able to be like, oh, like you were saying, you know, Claudia is a jerk here. I've been a jerk, but like she finds a way to work through it and, you know, get to a good place with Lane and all of the babysitters become friends again. Because I, as I don't think I really pointed out quite as much in the summary, like all of the girls get mad at each other. Not oh, just, yeah. you know, it's not just them against Lane. It's like, you know, Claudia's mad at Lane, obviously, but Christy gets mad at Claudia because Christy finally likes a boy and Claudia decides, well, this is the only boy I'm not afraid of. So I'm going to cut in and try to dance with him. And and, you know, Marianne, when she realizes that her architectural facts are maybe not the, you know, glittering conversation <laughs> topics and everyone that Stacey has invited to this party thinks she's a weirdo, she instead decides to make fun of Dawn and tell stories about Dawn's reaction to the city to get these kids to at least, like, laugh with her instead of sort of laughing behind their hands at her. And... Dawn, I guess, is the only one that doesn't really have anyone, like, mad at her, aside from Stacey, because she's like, why are you afraid of everything? But it's just sort of like, all of the girls here have an issue (laughs) in some way, shape, or form. So pretty much anyone reading this could see something that they have done wrong that one of these girls has done wrong here and, you know, see how that they, you know, how they've learned and grown from it is a way that the reader could also learn and grow from these types of things. And it's not the end of the world. You're not a terrible person because... Everybody does this, including the Babysitter's Club that you love. I think that's a really interesting point. Uh, it, it feels very um, sitcom-y to me in a way, especially in the way that sitcoms very much felt during this time period, the late 80s, early, early 90s, where it was very um, sort of gentle hijinks problems that could mm-hmm. be easily um, easily resolved and summed up with a heartwarming talk by Danny Tanner at the end of the half hour. Um, the Each of these books feels very much of a piece with that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and in that same way they do throw in those um you know those very special episodes where they touch on darker things um on a pretty regular basis way more than i remember it Mm -hmm. being because we talked last week you know we had a couple of serious issue heavy books in a row and then last week was sort of our last last book was sort of a um fluffier one with the with the mystery um and then and Koki. <laughs> Can't forget Koki. Oh, um, yeah. Can't forget Koki. I will never let anyone forget Koki. <laughs> never, never. Um, and then this this time we dive right back in to issue base. Like, we they, we wasted no time. In fact, I think we got an introduction to the homelessness problem before we even got reintroduced to the girls, um, if I'm if I'm remembering that correctly, I can take a look here. Yeah, I think that's true. Although I will say for an issues book, this one, and I don't know if it's, I don't know, because of my upbringing, not that I had a lot of experience with homelessness um, as a kid when I was reading these, but I did do AmeriCorps for a a year after college and worked with the homeless uh, population in Cincinnati um, pretty in depth and extensively since I was volunteering and doing that. So I don't know if it, if I would have, approach this differently reading it as a kid because I can't remember what I thought about the homelessness piece because I don't remember that it was in here um but I just reading through this it felt very surface level and mm-hmm. while it is an issues book it it just felt so glossed over to me it was like homelessness is bad and we need to try to help homeless people but the outcome of this meeting which like I'll get into what I think this meeting actually would have been had this been a real mm-hmm. situation is like we're going to open a soup kitchen la di da everything's perfect my comment here yeah i'm sure that meeting about judy and the other homeless individuals in the neighborhood was about what they could do to quote unquote help them and not figure out how to get rid of them yeah okay. 110% like, like come on um, I, I don't know who they think they're fooling here. They live on the Upper West Side in New York. She lives within a block of Central Park. Okay, sure, Jan. Like, their social yeah. circle lives at the Dakota. Like, right. We're, like, yeah. okay, yeah, okay, sure. You guys are going to open a soup kitchen in your neighborhood? Really? You actually want to help the homeless not get them away from your homes? Like, I and maybe that's why I... I'm feeling like this isn't really quite the like message book that like the racism book was because it just seems so much like, like I said, like homelessness is bad. You you know, you don't have to be afraid of homeless people and you should try to help them. The end. Like there, and maybe it's also because, well, I don't know, like, cause racism, obviously like a babysitter's club book is not going to like dive deep and really give you a sense of it. But like, I feel like this is just so not helpful <laughs> not that the yeah. not that Jesse's book was like helpful in any way to really like teach that much I don't like I can't I'm still just like trying to wrap my head around it because it just it feels this one feels more like I don't know what the right word would be like icky feels like it just feels mm-hmm. like eh, I don't I don't like it. it like it doesn't it doesn't make me feel like the kids reading this are learning anything at least with the racism book you feel like kids at least can start to get a sense of like racism is bad you know looking at jesse's family and how they're treated versus you know how dawn's family is treated when they moved to stony brook so it it, here is just sort of like i have this you know because stacy talks about how she has sort of like a personal relationship with judy i mean at least she knows judy's name but like judy 
clearly has mental issues. Sometimes she's there and cognizant and able to have like conversations with Stacy and like recognize her. And other times she's, you know, ranting and raving about whatever is going on in her head. Um, and that's sort of the extent of it. And I don't even know where I was going to go with that, but it's just sort of like homelessness exists is really what this book boils down to. And it, it doesn't feel like it's helping at all. If that, it's such a, I, I just went through such a roundabout way, but like, that's, that's really what it boils down to. The racism book at least felt like it was trying to do something and here. It just seems like they're not. As you were talking through that, what, what dawned on me is dawned. <laughs> Sorry. Had to throw in a little, didn't an unintentional pun just to lighten the mood a, a smidge. Um, I, I think the big difference that really I didn't notice until we're, we're digging into this, um, in, and in the other quote unquote issue books, the girls engaged with the topic in mm. this book, it's the adults engaging it. The girls are aware that it's happening. Stacy briefly mentions it and sort of passively brings it up. I believe two different instances and that's it is, is right. all that they mention it as the girls. The girls are far more wrapped up in their business. Um, and so in that way, it feels the homelessness issue feels way tacked on. Um, and it makes the, the privilege seem more glaring because they don't really have to interact with it in any way, shape, mm -hmm. or form. They aren't forced to contend with it in, on any real level. Um, the the biggest interaction they have with it is um, Stacy, you know, judging her level of friendliness with Judy based on Judy's uh, moods or right. clearly um, mental states, uh, making some um, inferences, mm -hmm. which is dangerous, but, you know. We're, we're working off what we got. Right. Um, I think we're, it's pretty a, a pretty safe bet to say that there are, like you said, some mental issues, unspecified. Right. Um, so there's that. And then um, the other two times that she mentions it, there's once to Christy when Christy goes to give a homeless man some money. Um, and then once with Dawn, and I can't even remember what it was specifically with Dawn. Dawn was just happy that when they were walking through Central Park, they hadden't seen any seen any people. that's right. And it, it really struck me. I was like, so the first instance with Christy is Christy pulls out her pocketbook to give uh, a homeless man money when they're coming out of um, lunch. And Stacy immediately is like, put that away. He, he's probably scamming you or somebody could try to grab it or you know, any number of things. Mm -hmm. so, to her credit was it wasn't just about um, the homeless man. It was also, you know, don't whip out money on the street in the middle of downtown New York, which, you know, is good advice regardless. Um, but I gave Christy the benefit of the doubt. I'm, I, I was like, okay, maybe she's seen a homeless person before, but just didn't realize, you know, don't pull out your money in on the street. Mm -hmm. Um, but then Dawn's reaction led me to believe, does Stony Brook just not have any homeless population? Like, have they just never encountered a homeless person before? Which... I mean, based on our sort of conversations about what we think Stony Brook is like, I'm guessing Stony Brook itself does not have any homeless individuals. Like where I grew up, there were no homeless individuals like in my town. That's like, probably true. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, for all we know, most of these girls haven't ever encountered a homeless person face to face. I mean, obviously, it, they clearly know what homelessness is, but especially to Dawn, it's just sort of like this scary, amorphous thing, and she doesn't want to be around it because she's afraid. I mean, she's afraid of everything, as we discussed. Like, yeah. she thinks she's going to get murdered. She thinks she's going to get robbed. She thinks the homeless people are going to 
do something. Like it's it's unclear with respect to homeless ne- homelessness what her real concern is, but she knows that she is afraid of homeless people and doesn't want to encounter them. So, you know, clearly these girls have led a very sheltered life, you know, based on what we've seen of them through the series. So, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if they hadn't come across anyone that was homeless in any substantial way at least yeah like i'm trying to think because i grew up i definitely grew up in the suburbs too i did not grow up in the city so it was not like i I was encountering homeless on the corner you know on the regular Mm -hmm. um but even like the nearby areas of our community they have the little you know like um even out in the suburbs they have like the little town main street town drags of each little area and um i I don't know if I'm just filling this in in my brain now, but I feel like I remember seeing at least one person there um, before. But in any case, um, I remember having very conflicted feelings about homelessness as a kid Mm -hmm. um, because it because like you said, it wasn't something that even if I did see it briefly, it was not something I greatly interacted with. Um, I was we did go, I did go to Catholic school so it was there was a big emphasis on compassion but mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of guidance around what that really meant and I feel like that that's what we're really seeing here in this book like a a faint at like oh we should really be concerned about homelessness and we should really do something about it but open a soup kitchen is like the extent of the discourse around that and again we are talking about children's books. We, you know, right. we, we're, we're not expecting right. as um, we as we always say. Like it, it's not gonna, it's not gonna reinvent the wheel and solve everything. But I wish there was maybe a little bit more interrogation of um, what it meant for Stacy to live in a um, doorman building right mm-hmm. next to um, a, an obvious homeless population. Um, you know, Stacy does again makes. Um, an indication in that general direction. She says, you know, some people might think I'm spoiled for living in a doorman building, but it just makes me feel really safe. And also it's nice when somebody opens the door when I'm carrying a bunch of stuff. And I'm like, (laughs) okay, so like, that's the kind of, that's a lot of the sort of white privilege nonsense that we still see today Mm -hmm. with like, oh, I, I, well, I feel bad for other people. Um, but it's nice having the privilege that I do have without any real further interrogation into right. that. Um, and, and that's, um, I don't, I don't know. I, I just think that's not good enough anymore. So yeah. I'm going to, I would be really curious to see, um, I guess I'd, I'd really love to talk to like somebody who's working with literature that's aimed at kids this age roughly now. Um, cause I know YA has gotten much better about mm-hmm. interrogating some of those tough topics. Um, I mean, just look the, at The Hate You Give is, was such a fantastic book that really tackled really deep, dark, it, hard to talk about subjects in a nuanced way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I'd love to think that the same is happening for kids' books. But I just, I, I think part of the issue is I, I have such a hard time with like really placing where where they are in development and right. what is yeah, acceptable for them because um, on sort of a different note, but it all of the same piece, they were just allowed to roam around New York City as 13-year-olds with no supervision uh, ever. Um, that seemed to me, uh, I'm like, wait, how old is 13? Is that well, allowed? Is that also, normal? Like, this was like 1988 New York City. 
You know, like yeah, exactly. It was not. It was not the like Disneyfied New York City Times Square situation that we know and love today. <laughs> love, you know, in quotes. Good, yeah. um, I, I, I mean, and there, I guess they didn't really go. Although Hard Rock Cafe had to have been in Times Square, right? Like they were at least like and Central or Grand Central Station is not on the Upper West Side, oh. so they were like all yeah. over the place. Oh, yeah, they were, like, she talked about taking the cab over to Columbus Circle to go to Grand Central and, like, the limo down to um, Broadway to see Starlight Express, which, oh, boy, there, there's not really a ton to say about that other than, ha, 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 ha. Very um, of its time. If, and if you don't know anything about Starlight Express, if you thought Cats was Andrew Lloyd Webber's most cracked out musical, you thought wrong. Um, Roller skates. <laughs> a, it, like, personified trains on roller skates it's just a whole thing um really weird lots of drugs and obviously um a lot of people with a lot of money just willing to throw it at whatever would happen so uh, i just thought it was really funny that that even because i feel like even at that time i i loved musicals have always loved musicals we both have i remember talking about starlight express and i i, I remember it being a joke even then yeah um so I don't know, I, like, I just thought that was a really funny, I wonder um, if that was an Anna Martin detail or if that was, like, one of the editors knew, <laughs> knew somebody and, <laughs> right. like, yeah, owed well, a this, favor. Yeah, this this is on Broadway now. Let's, um, yeah, let's do this one. <laughs> like, it, it, yeah. It just seems like a really a random, random choice. choice. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Especially for the, like, 13-year-old girls. I feel like in at the late 80s, there were a, a numerous choices that would have been far more fascinating to them, like... A, 13 is like prime Phantom of the Opera era. That's like when you don't see any of the problematic and just see all the swoony romantic. Like that's right. the perfect time to watch Phantom. So just missed opportunity yeah. there. Maybe but. maybe for like realism, they thought that Starlight Express was like more likely that Lane's Broadway producer dad would be offered house tickets. Fair enough. You know, yep. like I, I mean, I, I don't know yeah it makes no sense <laughs> i mean let, let's just put it that way it it's super random but so you know i'm sure we'll be exactly so i'm sure we'll be circling back to the um homelessness of it all um as we go through this because that's a much bigger conversation but i do want to just to make sure we talk about lots of different things um i wonder how realistic this depiction of new york is um because like of living there as a child because mm -hmm. i don't know anyone that grew up in new york aside from like celebrities who would give uh, um interviews about what it was like to be a kid in new york but i i never met anyone with firsthand experience um in, in that kind of uh that had that kind of childhood what about you um i don't think so i mean my dad obviously he's a generation ahead of us but my dad grew up um just outside new york city and he went to high school in the city so he spent a lot of time in the city but like obviously that's a very different situation he wasn't like living in the city and he was also you know this was like the 60s and 70s 50s 60s 70s i don't know whenever it was um so it would obviously be a very different new york even then so in our That's generation, no. <laughs> and I, I mean, I don't even have like super in-depth knowledge about like the ins and outs of my dad's like high school life in the city, which I probably don't want to know, let's be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, I didn't ever like, I don't know anyone that like grew up in New York City, at least not anyone that I like know to the degree that they would have like given me, you know, insider information about what it was like 
Yeah, that's a good point. I guess I, because um, my uncle grew up there. Actually, Brienne, who listens, her dad grew up in New York. Um, he's a huge Mets fan still, but I, it wasn't what I was thinking of when I when I was thinking of the girls' experience <laughs> right. with with New York. I was more thinking of like um, what you talked about, like the people that we knew who yeah. were around this time to to be able to comment on whether that was like. I mean, obviously, um, again, these are very very wealthy girls, so even right. Um, if I did know people who grew up during in New York, I, I doubt I would be knowing um, people who, right? People whose best friend lives in the Dakota. <laughs> like, exactly. Seriously. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. Who, uh, whose was... family just rides limos everywhere? Guys, Lane's family is super Insane. rich. Super rich. They live in the Dakota, and they drive I, I can't limos get everywhere. Over that. Not drive limos. They ride in limos. They don't own a car. They don't take taxis. <laughs> God forbid they take a taxi. Like, the amount they, of money that Lane's family has is, like, I don't understand that kind of money. They take a limo, limo so often that I made special note of this. She doesn't say, my parents said we can get a limo. They said we can take the limo, as in yes. their limo. Like, as in just their normal mode of transportation. Or a no normal mode of transportation right. for them. Yeah, like they have just... a standing contract with a company. If you know, if it's not their actual limo and their actual driver, they have like a company that they call and say, "We need a limo right now," and that someone shows up. Exactly. Which, again, I don't understand that kind of life. <laughs> I wish I did sometimes, right? but also I I'm kind of glad I don't because I can appreciate yeah. when I do get to ride in a limo or I get to be in first class somehow. Like it still means something. I I want that kind of thing to always mean something. <laughs> I'm totally with you. Like the same way, like I said, I've con had conflicted feelings about um, homelessness and what to do about that issue. And it was one of the reasons I love talking to you about it since you do have so much experience. But I have this similarly conflicted feelings about um, wealth where mm -hmm. I, I like on the one hand, I'm like, eat the rich. And on the other hand, I'm like, ooh, first class. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, there, there's... I contain multitudes. Um, that's actually, I meant to say that earlier when we were talking about it. The complicated feeling that immediately came back is I vividly remember reading this and thinking it was so cool that Stacy had a, a homeless friend who like knew her name and like they had a special thing. And I, I thought that made her very sophisticated and New York like. And I remember being jealous of that. And like that immediate, that was immediately what popped into my brain. And I went, Ooh, not a good look, little Lauren, not a good look. <laughs> at all and um i can't help wonder how much of that had to do with how it was portrayed in this book that it was portrayed as sort of like even at the end the resolution is her like um uh, they're uh, on their way back from the museum and judy's in a good mood and she calls her by their special name and mm -hmm. and stacy smiles and then and the parents have come up with a plan to save the homeless of the neighborhood um it, it obviously didn't register as a, a serious issue in my brain. It was just sort of a, a quirk of right. the neighborhood. Something of living in the city. Like, oh, everyone does that. Yeah. Uh, that goes right along with that. I didn't ha have any concepts of my privilege as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, and there just weren't really resources, I guess, for lack of a better word, um, that really addressed any of those issues. Right. Um, well, I mean, especially because for us growing up, homelessness in pop culture at least it was like this book which clearly didn't even resonate with me because i don't remember that aspect of it at all and like home alone too 
Like oh, that yeah, was, I was just going to mention her. You know, like that was like it. It was like New York City homelessness, you know, homeless individuals, but they're like special homeless people that the kids have a specific relationship with. And like, it's mind boggling that like that was what we were aware of as children. But it's also like, well, what what were what would you expect for, ki- you know, like 10 year olds exactly. to be, you know, like you don't want to throw too much at kids. And this is sort of going back to your question about, you know, what are books for kids like today? Because I think it would be really interesting to find that out because I feel like kids learn about the difficult pieces of life sooner than we did mm-hmm. or maybe in more nuanced ways at least. Um, and I, it sort of saddens me that my first and most people of our generation's first interactions or experiences with homelessness was you know a a children's book and a movie where it's sort of like magical homeless person in this child's life you know like it's it sort of makes me uncomfortable looking back at like that's our first experience with that oh absolutely and the idea that there's like um like i I understand i i don't want to sound too negative the 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 intent is good. Humanizing, bringing mm-hmm. attention to to an issue. Um, you know, at least they aren't just not interrogating Dawn's fear that of a quote-unquote bag lady. Which, by the way, that brought me back. Haven't heard that yeah. terminology in quite some time. Oof. Not a good look. Um, but, like, at, at least they did push back on that. And even in Home Alone 2, you know, she's meant to be scary at first. I can't remember the character's name, but she's meant to be scary at first. And then it turns out she's really, you know, awesome. Um, and there's this um, this sort of implication that, um, like, again, the idea of humanizing everyone or humanizing homeless people great but the effect of of using those particular ones like you said the magical homeless person or the the happy with their plight person who is not you know actively railing against the fact that this is a very privileged kid who's just like roaming new york whose parents are in paris or wherever they are and there's no conversation about um about that at all Mm -hmm. or i guess it's been a very long time since i've watched home alone too so i can't i can't make too strong assertions about what how they approach it there but um it it just the it almost feels to me more insulting to bring it up in such a slight manner and to Mm -hmm. not really touch to really talk about it or ask any questions about it at all like i would almost rather it just not be there um than this sort of fake version of it uh I, I i guess i would have rather seen the girls really have to deal with with it in some way but i guess it kind of doesn't make a ton of sense what would what would they do like right well I, I that's sort of what i was as you were saying that i was kind of wondering if there's going to be a book later in the series where there's you know a family that is living in another car or something you know like and obviously that's a different sort of issue you know, having that be how the, the girls approach it, because it will probably just be a one-off book again. But at least if it's someone that they can sort of get to know in their home turf, if that makes sense. Because I, I feel like that's part of the, like, issue here is, like, we couldn't really have, you know, 
the non-Stacy characters really have any major interaction with a homeless person here because they're only there for three days. And, exactly. You know, there's no. It's, it would be very difficult to get nuance, and I think that's sort of the same problem with um, Home Alone Two is because he, you know he's only there for a few days. He has a couple run-ins with that woman, and so it doesn't really give a much of an opportunity to like dive deep. But I do definitely agree with what you're saying. I I wish there was some way that they could have examined it a little bit more deeply, and in a little bit more nuanced of a way than just being like, "Here's my homeless buddy." Sometimes she doesn't recognize me and sometimes she does. And now my parents are going to make a soup kitchen to help her and her homeless friends. Like, it, it's just, it doesn't feel like enough. Yeah, it, it's especially frustrating for me because I really believe that the, the girls that we have known throughout the book so far and the readers are capable of more. Right. Especially because, you know, like I said, I had some not ideal thoughts about it when I was reading these books the first time. But by the time I was 13, I actually was volunteering um, with a local church that did like overnight weekends for homeless families in the area. My, we, my whole family used to volunteer there. Mm -hmm. My mom um, did for, for years. Um, So by the time I was 13, I did have a more advanced understanding of what was going on. It still wasn't, you know, I'm still grappling with it. That's part of, recognizing privilege is understanding that evolution but um i had a far more nuanced position at 13 than i did than the girls appear to in this book and Mm -hmm. and and that's just disappointing because uh, i know that they're better than that and i we've seen them be better than that right and it just feels like this feels like a pulled punch in a way if that makes sense right um like we yeah anyway i don't want to belabor that particular point because it's Again, it is a children's book, and and we know that. But I think we can, at this point in the in the series, hold it to a higher standard. Now, if we're talking, you know, well, we didn't mention that at first. We are still in Anna Martin. There are no Ghost Raiders yet, right? Um, so we're still early on in this. But at the same time, we are now in book eighteen. They are coming out. It looks like once a month. This was released in November nineteen eighty eight. Yeah. So, yeah, we're looking at, like, one book a month. So there's a high churn rate on these. I wonder if it would have been better served if they had slowed the release schedule down a little bit and right. gotten a little had bit more. Had a little more... more time to flesh things out before just, like, okay, the story's done, go. Exactly. Um, so I I don't know. The, it, the whole situation is um, – I just wish it was a little bit more nuanced than that, <laughs> so I guess, yes. is how I can sum up my, my, my thoughts on the homelessness part of the plot line. Um, as much as I really did feel like Claudia was being such a jerk, I did also recognize that feeling of, like, I feel jealous and insecure, so I'm going to lash out first so mm-hmm. that I don't appear weak or... Um, at, in some way less than I'm going to try to I'm going to dominate you so that you can't dominate me um, and oh boy that's not a fun mirror to look in um, as, even at, at, at like thinking back at, at that age and some just stupid things you would say when you would feel like somebody was had one up on you in one way or yeah at least at least I did the thing that really resonated with me because I know that I was guilty of this so after at the end of the party when they're sort of all sniping at each other and, you know, trying, Wayne's trying to figure out if she should even sleep over. And 
I didn't copy and paste the language verbatim probably because it just made me too uncomfortable with what I know I've done in the past. But it basically boils down to, you know, Claudia basically saying she has a reason for disliking Lane and it is and she essentially says basically like, well, if you don't know, you know, you did something. Mm -hmm. If you don't know what you did, I'm not going to tell you like I shouldn't have to tell you. And it, it was just like there's there's nothing that Claudia Claudia can actually say that. Lane did, you know, aside from, you know, her, her excuse of, you know, you hurt Stacy's feelings when you stopped being her friend when she came, when she, you know, was diagnosed with diabetes. Like, that's not really a reason at this point. And the, the reason is obviously Claudia is jealous. She feels, mm -hmm. you know, threatened by Lane and Lane's friendship with Stacy. And her, her feeling was, well, I'm just going to say that Lane did something so that I can feel justified in hating her. When in reality, the the thing that she hates is that she's jealous. And so it, that was what really like resonated with me because I know I like, I have distinct memories of being like that, particularly even in high school. So clearly even into high school, I was not, <laughs> not, not a better person than this. I'm so I have distinct memories of being like, you know, t talking about why I disliked someone and, you know, someone, and obviously I don't think I ever had this conversation directly with someone the way that Claudia and Lane did, but it was like, I just really don't like them. Oh, well, why? I, I can't remember exactly, but like they, they did something or like, I don't want to talk about it, but you know, she really hurt my feelings at one time. And it's like, okay, but like, you just don't want to admit that you are jealous of that person. And like, oh, that was the thing that really like struck me. And I was just like, oh, I feel so uncomfortable. I definitely, definitely feel you there. That um, that feeling where you have to make up a reason to not like someone because right. you can't can't admit that it's your own inadequacy that is making you dislike them. Um, and I, I love that you are like I was still a, still that way in high school. Are you kidding me? I still do that sometimes. <laughs> I will still catch myself being like. Yeah, I'm not really sure. I can't put my finger on it, but I don't like them. And if mm -hmm. I just take a, a two minutes, I'm like, oh, I know exactly what it is. There's something about them that they have that I don't have that I wish I had. Right. Whether it's material or emotional or like, you know, physical, pick, pick a category. Um, if there is something that I feel that I'm lacking, I still struggle with that um, imposter syndrome. And... Um, I think for a lot of us, our default response to that is to some, in some ways, tear down other people. And mm -hmm. I, unfortunately, I feel like that's much more common in women. Um, and, and I don't know why that is. I mean, other than, you know, a patriarchal system that's designed to pit us against each other. But, <laughs> right. I was going to um, say, uh, I think I have a pretty good <laughs> sense of where that might at least come from a little bit. <laughs> Um, but we can't blame all of it on that. Right. We get to own some of our own actions. And I think that, um, you know, a lot of it is societal conditioning. But um, I, I think at the same time, if we're honest, I think a lot of it is because um, it's easier to compare yourself to other women because there's more in common mm -hmm. where it can be. Um, it, it, men can sometimes feel not as threatening in, in terms of comparison. Um uh, and jealousy comparison because their experience is just so different and they um, don't start on an equal playing field as a, with us right. no matter, you know, what we want to say. So it, it it's harder to be like um, to feel personally threatened by some men's success sometimes because right. it just feels so foreign. Whereas 
if it's another woman, it can feel like it's it's you. If that it, if that makes sense, I don't know. If yeah, I, I I mean I think sort of branching off from that, and I think this might be what you're trying to describe. When it's another woman, it can sometimes feel like success is a pie. You know, like yes, exactly. if you if you get some, then I don't. As opposed to, and I feel like men probably don't feel like that about anything. And so no, when we compare ourselves to men, there is there's no there's no pie you know, analogy, whereas with women, it's like, because of the way that society is and what we have experienced to date, it can sometimes feel like if I don't have something or if someone else has something, I can't also have it too, because there's only so much of that thing to go around, even though, you know, women can be all be successful. You know, there's not just a pot of success or quote unquote prettiness or, whatever you know number of friends like you can have you can have the same things as whatever woman you're feeling inadequate when you compare yourself to her but it's hard because we've so internalized those feelings of if someone else gets something that's something I can't have and it 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 really is something you have to fight against because of the way that we've all been conditioned that I have to tell myself I need to not feel and I mean, I don't even know if it's, I need to not feel inadequate. I mean, people have feelings however they have feelings, but like you need to not let that be the reason because you feel like you won't get, you can't have what someone else has because there's not enough to go around. Agreed. And I think it's, it's largely because still uh, uh, this, we can blame squarely on society um, or how our society is currently functioning um, is that the default is still man like right. for everything like the default assumption for almost everything is still white male and um when so when there are th- when a woman takes a role it it feels like they're taking it from you because there are limited options because and men don't have that same um feeling of limited options because there aren't <laughs> everything right. is just open um and, and I definitely think that's changing and this is not I like this is not a men bashing by any means I know many incredible men I think we're, we're talking purely on a systematic level mm-hmm. at this point um, but because uh, uh, I, I don't want it to become sort of an us versus them devolving into men have it so easy and only <laughs> right. women no, struggle with these not. types of issues um, but I do think that um, imposter syndrome is is definitely not unique to women it is however it is much more common in women. Um, although interestingly enough, um, that is, there is an increase in males reporting, self-reporting imposter syndrome, which obviously would have to be self-reported. <laughs> right. Um, so I've, I've tossed that, that term around a, a number of times now, um, in case you aren't familiar with it, imposter syndrome just refers to the feeling that, um, you don't belong in some way that you don't deserve something that you have. Um, it's very, very common with women in the workplace where, um, especially in positions of power, um, they somehow feel like they're a fraud or they don't know as much. Um, and that everyone else around them is looking and judging at them. Uh, and nine times out of 10, it's all in your head. That's the imposter part of the, the, the syndrome. So, um, just in, in case anyone was like, what are the hell is she <laughs> keep talking about? <laughs> Um, because I have a tendency because I read and talk about this so much in in my work, I have a tendency to forget that they're not that it's not things that just the average person may have run across. But I think it is something that we should talk about more. I mm-hmm. think that's one of the issues is that we don't 
talk about imposter syndrome enough. I've, I've had women in class come up to me afterwards and be like, no one's ever said that before. And I went, oh my God, that's me. And ev- you mean everybody feels like that? Right. And I said, I obviously can't say everybody, but I, a, a lot of people do. Right. And You're not the um, only person feeling that way. Rely on that. <laughs> you know, feel comforted yes. by that. Like. Every, not, and, like I almost said it too. Like ev- everyone does, like everyone, quote unquote, because so many yes. people experience that in some way, shape, or form. It might not be in their job. It might be in their family, you know, like or their relationships, right? Or their like friendships, or, you know, or, yep. parenting, that sort of thing. Like, oh yeah, you know, everyone. I would, I think, almost certainly, and I probably, I shouldn't say this because it's it, there's. I'm sure it's not a universal truth, but like, I would bet money that almost everyone you've ever met has had some form of imposter syndrome at some point in their life. Agreed. Like whether they do any more or, you know, it's just about one small limited thing. I think it's something that almost everyone has some experience with. And I think that that really, um, the more we talk about it, the more the the, even more than the homelessness, because we, like we said, that's barely a, a topic in this book um, for all that it's there. I would really think that the biggest theme of this one is that imposter syndrome, because really, uh, if you look at it, all of the girls are acting um, out of some version of that. Um, Claudia, who is what started this conversation with her, you know, jealousy of of Lane, but um, Marianne's hero worship of New York and not, and feeling like New York is the plate is the cool place and the best place. So her being from Stony Brook means that she's less than, which led to her, um, having to know every single thing about New York and to prove to other people, look how much I know about your city. Um, we had Dawn who doesn't feel like she fits in there and that just led to her feeling terrified and out of place and like everything was out to get her. Um, Christy is not so much other than, but yeah, actually kind of, if you think about it, this is her first time liking a boy that feels unnatural and strange to her. And then here comes Claudia who has experience with boys and everyone talks about how gorgeous she is all the time in her description, um, swooping in and, and taking her place. And I'm sure that had to make Christy feel like, well, was he only dancing with me because he didn't think that Claudia would be interested or, you know, um, I, I think it's fascinating that, that all of them have some form of that. Um, even actually Stacy and Lane come to think of it. Uh, Stacy with, you know, feeling torn between two worlds, not feeling a little bit like an imposter in both places. Um, and, and Lane feeling like an imposter in the babysitter's club world, um, leading to her, I'm sure probably trying to show off a little bit. Uh, Claudia or not when Claudia initially snipes at her, Stacy does mention, um, I won't give the description. I'll, I'll wait because there's a ton of good fashion in this one, but she does mention that, um, even she was surprised at how fantastic Lane looked Mm -hmm. and you have to believe that that was an intentional choice, right? She didn't like, um, she chose to kick it up a notch because she knew she was meeting people that she was going to feel slightly inadequate around. Right. Um, so I, I think that's really fascinating. I hadn't really, I mean, I did put that down as an idea, but I hadn't really fleshed out all the way how much everybody um, mm-hmm. throughout the book really responds to that. That's f- interesting. Anyway, um, I love it when a when a thesis comes together. <laughs> it's the English nerd in me. Oh, yeah. I enjoy so, it as well. Speaking of fashion, oh, fashion guru, lay it on me. 
There is so much good stuff this time. There's a ton. We're not going to go through all of it because this episode would be twice as long. But I do think um, Lane's outfit is definitely one of the best. So I will start with her. So this is obviously Stacy describing Lane. Lane was beyond chic. She had chosen a short black dress, black stockings, and simple black flats. On one wrist was a single silver bangle bracelet. On her dress was one of those silver squiggle pins. Her fluffy brown hair was newly permed and perfectly cut. She looked wonderful, at least 19. My friends were speechless. Claudia looked good too, but well, maybe only 15, tops. Her hair was long and flowing, and her outfit was wild, but not particularly adult. Ooh, sick bird. Once again, the idea of being unsophisticated or a baby being the highest level of insult. Well, Um, the other thing, though, is... Claudia is wearing an outfit that Stacy told her to wear to fit in exactly this party. and then that's her reaction when she sees her compared to Lane so this is Claudia's outfit um it's not really that well described but um this is when when Claudia and Stacy are talking about this planning the trip and Claudia asks Stacy what she should bring to wear to the party so this is um Stacy again We weren't getting anywhere. Wear your black outfit, that really cool one, I told her. Claudia has incredible clothes, and I wanted her to wear this outfit that was sleek and black and covered with silver stars and sparkles. So we don't really get a full sense of what it is, because even later when when it's at the party, she says, Claudia Claudia had on the black outfit we had talked about over the phone so long ago. She was wearing her hair simply for once, brushed back from her face, and held in place with a white beaded headband. So we don't know what's involved, but, like, silver stars and spangles, like clearly not the sophisticated 19 year old looking outfit that lane had on yeah i i'm envisioning a very um 90s like um one of jerry's girlfriends on seinfeld like tights under the (laughs) under the dress um is is like not what she's wearing it to the party but like i'm that's how i envision lane even though she's only 13 Mm. but you know like um that like sophisticated girl who walks around walked around in like velvet dresses and had her hair in a perfect French braid. Um, mm-hmm. That's just sort of who I, I I picture her to be. And um, Claudia's fashion is so loud and out there that th- there's two totally different worlds. They don't even right. compare, but they're so caught up in um, the rivalry that it, it, they can't just appreciate each other for what they've got. Um, no. They come around by the end. I know. Oh, my God. You have to talk about Marianne's outfit at the party. That was my favorite. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's like a paragraph. Um, Okay. And what was Marianne, the fashion plate, wearing? Well, here's a clue. She looked like she'd walked right out of the pages of Little House on the Prairie. I had chosen a bright, big patterned sweater and black pair of pants for her. She looked at them, shaking her head, replaced them in her suitcase, and put on this other outfit. A ruffly white blouse, a long paisley skirt, and these little brown boots. It was very mature and attractive, but, well, Marion was the only one of my friends who, when dressed up, actually looked like she came from Connecticut. We could tell, though, that the clothes were new and she really wanted to wear them, so no one said anything to her, despite the grief she'd given us earlier. Yeah, That's a lot of luck for a Yikes. New York party. That's a lot of luck That's a lot of luck for anything. Yeah, that's a lot of luck for life. Um, that was, oh, I read that and I was like, because, oh, so the reason that Stacy mockingly calls her a fashion plate there is because Mary Ann, of all people, comes back and panics that we all have to have super cool New York outfits so that we fit in and that they yeah, like us. Because there'll be New York um, boys at the party. 
Exactly. And they're all like, you have Logan. And she's like, but the, it's the principle of the thing. Right. <laughs> we have to fit into this party. Just wear your coolest outfit. Stacey, tell us what to wear. Um, so funny. Ugh, oh, well, so and also the they – she says they have to wear their most New York outfits. And Christy's suggestion, because they went to the Hard Rock Cafe for lunch yes. that day and all got shirts from the Hard Rock Cafe that said New York City on them, that they should all wear their Hard Rock Cafe shirts because that's so New York because they're from New York. I was Ugh. like, oh, oh, Christy. That's that is girl, like Christy. wearing wearing the band T-shirt – from the concert that you're at to the concert it's just not a good look not great i also i think this might be the last outfit but stacy's outfit for the party because i have a question i was wearing i was wearing a short short yellow dress that flared out just above my hips white stockings yellow push down socks and these new shoes that my parents hate it was an interesting outfit one i'd thought up while we were dressing what shoes i want to know what these shoes are that her parents hate i'm so confused by that so my immediate thought, I had the same thing. I was like, ooh, I wonder what this is. So I came up, I was like, what do I think could be shoes her parents hate? So my immediate thought was heels because they might like thought, think that that was too mature. Yeah. Uh, my mom had a thing against like stilettos when I was young. Um, but the other thing my mom really hated were my jelly sandals, <laughs> <laughs> um, which this was about that time. It could have been like platform jellies, especially with like push down socks. That would have been a thing and it would have been ugly as hell and an adult could have very easily been like no child what are you doing yeah you know some of these outfits descriptions and i know we've we've said this a lot about stacy but just sort of generally like the amount of like color coordination when it's you know she's wearing like head to toe yellow and white yes. and like there was that lavender outfit when they were on the cruise like i was immediately thinking of that with yep. the like head to toe one color like it Maybe it was more of a thing back then. It doesn't seem cool to me that you would wear just, like, monochromatic. I think it like, would work if it was more, like, neutral colors. Like, I like right. that look. Um, yeah, like, like a, Lane's all black look, cosine. Like, I wear all black looks all the time. Right. Or Not even necessarily like, I was now, like, but. Like, tans or, uh, like, yeah. different shades of, like, beige could be, like, in, like, like Kanye West's <laughs> entire color palette. Um <laughs> I was just watching We're Here on HBO, which I, by the way, ugh, if you were missing Queer Eye, super recommend We're Here. It gives me a lot of the same feels. But they were talking about a very, like, beige-looking town, and they're like, this is more tan than a Kanye West fashion show. And I <laughs> straight died. Um, but, like, that actually works. But head-to-toe yellow, even, like, shades of yellow? Eee, yeah, yikes. It's a lot. It's, it's not the best. It is a lot of look, as you said. Exactly. In, um, so in the immortal any... words of Tim Gunn. <laughs> exactly. Um, any sort of random one-offs before we get to predictions? I do have a couple of little things. Um, so, first of all, I think uh, I I had written down we should chat about our New York thoughts and feelings, but we're going to have more chances to talk about New York yeah, there um, is series. a super special where they go back to New York. So exactly. So we'll we'll dive into that there. But I don't know that they go back to the Hard Rock. And I did just want to take a couple of minutes and talk about the extended commercial for the Hard Rock Cafe that was in this book. Um, and briefly, for those of you listening who did not grow up during this time period, explain that yes, for some very strange reason, that was like the thing to do for. A number of years there. 
um, they were the height of cool. And those t-shirts with the circle um, and the logo were like, oh, that was what you wanted when somebody went on vacation. That was the souvenir you wanted to come back with. Wild. Was that a thing for you guys up in um, Cleveland? I mean, there was a Hard Rock Cafe in Cleveland. Oh, that's true. I for- I always forget about that because I've, I've literally lived here forever and never been. Well, it's not there anymore. It, I think it might have disappeared when I was yeah, in I was law gone. school. Yeah. No. Oh, no. It's been a long time. <laughs> um, I've only been to that one. And I went one time to see a U2 cover band in college. So That's so fascinating. It was definitely a thing, but it was not a thing for me. Like, I could not possibly have cared less about the Hard Rock Cafe. <laughs> That is fascinating because we were just down in Cincinnati. It wasn't like we were like far away, but for whatever reason, hard rock cafes meant cool, big cities. It it was a very big deal. And it was not just me, like the other kids at school. um, Oh yeah. No, I'm a hundred percent. I just was not one of those kids for whatever reason, but like, oh oh, yeah, sorry. I meant, I was just trying to say for me personally, my family was not like a, let's go to the hard rock cafe. Kids in my school wore the shit out of those shirts. But, like, gotcha. that okay. was just never a thing that appealed to me for whatever reason. Like, I'm sure there were other things that I was, like, super into that other kids would have been, like, nobody cares about that. But, like, Hard Rock Cafe was not a thing that I personally was into. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. Because I was like, ooh, interesting. I think it's so strange how it was such a big deal for us and nobody cared. But I that would have made sense seeing how it was here. But, um I, I get that. Uh, what about Planet Hollywood? Just out of curiosity, um, was that were you into that at all too? Because that was the roughly the same time period. I've been to one Planet Hollywood. It was at Disney World because that was the only place we could get a reservation for dinner that wasn't like five hours later. I, I think I just like. I also have only been to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice, despite living in Cleveland my almost entire life. Um, right. I think I just don't. I mean, I like music. I love music, obviously. Um, I have specific musicians and artists that I care deeply about. I think I just don't care about seeing a guitar or fair, fair a enough. piano or like a piece of paper that somebody wrote lyrics on, unless it's someone I specifically care about. So like there are things at Planet Hollywood, at the Hard Rock Cafe, at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame that I was like, that's so cool that I got to see that. But I largely don't care about that. Like, I like, like, speaking of this book, like, the American Museum of Natural History, like, I could live there. I I mean, for Jeff's 35th birthday, one of the things we did was, like, a night at the museum. We got to sleep underneath that big, like, great, big, blah, <laughs> blue whale. Like, I, I'm much more into, like, art museums and natural history museums. I don't care about, like, memorabilia museums, if that makes sense. It totally does. And for some reason, I um, totally lumped them in together. Like, I that, I think that's why I was so into Planet Hollywoods and Hard Rock Cafes is because they did feel like a museum to me. And I was fascinated, even if it was artists that I didn't care about. I Like, for some reason, I liked, I still like um, seeing history like that and being being close to it and, and being fascinated by, um, by that. And I, I don't know why that is, because you're right. At the end of the day, it's just a guitar in a case <laughs> right. that looks like any other guitar. But um, I do. I am still still a sucker for that. So that's that's interesting. That's my, my cheesy nerdiness. Yeah. Also, um, can we just touch on the fact that I just said I like music? 
<laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I was like, I was like, I was going to just let that go. Wow. But I was yeah, like, I just, I mean, yeah, that, that's like the most basic, like, I like music. I like movies. Understatement like, everybody likes those things in some way, shape or form. Shut up, idiot. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, put a microphone in front of us and all of a sudden we, we can't talk. Um, One of those days. Indeed. Uh, what about you? Any other random thoughts? Um, I loved, so... As a sort of a side note to people listening that haven't read this book uh, recently, the instead of notebook entries at the beginning of the chapters, there are postcards that the girls are writing to their family members, loved ones, friends back home, whatever. Um, so two things on that. Uh, it's a long weekend in New York, like a train ride away from your home. You guys are all writing postcards that are going to get there after you get back like in some ways I totally get that because like I used to write like letters home when I was at camp like same 15 minutes from my parents house for like a week so half of them would get there after I got home but the other thing that I did love so Dawn was the one like there were letters or postcards to Jesse and Mallory separately Dawn wrote both of them and I kind of love that that like Dawn is the one that thinks to be like well, Jesse and Mallory didn't come on the trip, which they do explain, which makes sense because, like, A, Stacey barely knows Mallory and she doesn't know Jesse at all. And also, their parents never would have let them come in the first place. So I like that they sort of explained it because I think we probably would have thought, like, well, obviously they're not there, but like, it was nice to have that. But I also yeah. just really love that Dawn was like, they're obviously would have loved to have been here in some ways, even though they don't know Stacey that well or at all. But like, I love that she was like, hey, guys, like, here's what we're doing in New York. Like, here's a fun thing. Let me give you, like, a little tidbit of – and, you know, obviously we'll tell you everything when we get back. But, like, I just loved that for whatever reason, like, Dawn was the one to do that. Like, it almost seems like a Marianne thing to do. But, like, after reading it, it's sort of like, no, it makes perfect sense that it would be Dawn. Yep. I, I, I made note of that as well. I thought that was so cute. Um, I especially uh, – one of the reasons I made note is because um, everybody had been um, – writing to parents to that point and so Dawn's first letter to um to Matt is to Mal and it starts with hi Mal and um I guess I was just reading too fast so peek behind the curtain um the way I prep is I usually read through the book once just just read it through um just to take in everything and then I read it again and and go back and take notes and so my first read through I must have been reading too quickly because I just assumed she said hi mom and then she says um, we went to the American History of uh, we went to the American Museum of Natural History. It was so so cool. You would have loved it. So would your brothers and sisters. And I was like, what <laughs> a weird thing! What a weird thing to say to your mom. <laughs> like my aunts and uncle. Like I don't think I've ever referred to my aunts and uncles as your brothers and sisters. Right. Your brothers and sisters would have loved it, mom. Um, and so I immediately went back kind of up and I was like, oh, Mal, that makes so much more sense. But it was just, it was just a funny little, like, what? Yeah. Um, but I, I did, I love that little detail. Um, so there's not too much timeline wonkiness to talk about this. We're still, um, in our first pass through of eighth grade. However, we are getting, um, some indication of Anne's willingness to play with the elasticity of time because on what earth can five babysitters and 10 small children under the age of 10 make it to the natural history museum, the children's museum, lunch, and walking around central park in three to four hours. Um, that's like four days worth of entertainment. Well, especially cause one of those children is three years old. <laughs> exactly. Like 
what on what planet can you get through lunch with a three-year-old in under an hour, let alone walking them there and back? Right. Although the three-year-old, I do have to say, she recalled the dinosaur skeletons monster bones, which was like the cutest thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I want to steal that and call them monster bones from now monster on. Monster bones. I love it. Oh, I have one other weird, quirky thing that's sort of random. Um, so chapter 13 starts off with Marianne's postcard to Logan, in which she refers to Lane as Claudia's friend. I was like, wait, what? Ooh, what? It, it, it's it been corrected in your version. That's why you didn't see it. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was like, like oh, is... my God, there's a typo in my book. <laughs> that is too funny. Yeah. It's like, um, Interesting. Oh, wow. That's – anyway, um, I, I love that. I love stuff like that, those Easter eggs. Um, it always made me feel special to find those. Like, ooh, I know something that, that even they don't. I know. I caught it. They caught it at some point, <laughs> just not before it went to print the first time. Um, I do like that they um, make fun of the fact that uh, Mr. and Mrs. Reams always re- refer to Stacy as Anastasia. Mm-hmm. I had to laugh at that. But I also had to be like, okay, at that age – she absolutely is the type of girl who would have been like, ooh, you know, it would be super sophisticated. I'm going to make everybody call me Anastasia. She, yep. I totally believe that Stacy would have that phase. And it would For be sure. right around now. 13, 14 is right around when, um, at least in my school, the craze of fancying up your name in some mm-hmm. way uh, swept the nation. So, <laughs> Fair enough. Any other stray observations? No, that was my big ones. So on to predictions of Claudia and the Bad Joke, book 19 yes. in the series. I remember this one really well. Oh, good. Um, I, once again, do not. Uh, <laughs> but I think I remember something. So part of it is this book does have a very helpful cover in that it is Claudia on a hospital bed with her leg in a uh, cast and raised up. I'm not even looking at it. And I can Oh, yeah, I picture- can picture it picture that one in my brain this is one Um, of the ones I still have from when I was a kid yeah so I very vividly remember this cover um I want to say it was Alan Gray who was behind the joke and it was something like um like a a trap of some kind that went wrong and she got hurt like she fell into a hole that was supposed to be but I don't know what else the hole could have been or maybe I'm remembering wasn't there one where a little kid fell into a hole like Jessica, like baby Jessica down the well and they like couldn't find him or maybe I'm making that up. Um, that's not this book. I don't think I just remember she broke a leg and I want to say Alan Gray was somehow involved in maybe baseball. That's, but that's all I got. <laughs> I can't wait for you to read this <laughs> and us to talk about how wrong you are. <laughs> uh, yes. So, here's what really happened (laughs) like the end of clue okay um yeah yeah in my so i you don't write as like much notes about this as i do i like have like an actual paragraph that i wrote and my first sentence was oh i remember this one so well um okay so i'm just gonna sort of summarize from here um the babysitters club gets a new family to babysit for the girl is i think it's just an only child and her name is betsy Um, She loves playing practical jokes, and the ones that I remember the most are, she has, well, this one first. She has an ice cube with a fly in it. Like, you know, she, like, has a lot of those standard, like, back of the comic book practical joke type things. So one of the things she has is a glass that looks like a normal glass, but when you drink out of it, it spills. 
so I have a very solid memory of Claudia babysitting Betsy. Betsy gives her that glass to drink out of when they have a snack. And Claudia gets apple juice all over the white button down of her dad's as she painted and decorated. And it has to be dry cleaned now. I have like that. The dry cleaning in particular, like stuck in my head so much. Um, so then later, I think it's at the same job, but it might be like the next time Claudia babysits for her. Betsy rigs the swings in her front yard so that one seat is loose and then tells Claudia to sit on that. And she thinks that when Claudia sits on the seat, she's going to immediately fall on the ground and like, ha ha, I tricked you. Practical joke. You fell on the ground. But um, that doesn't happen. And then Claudia, to try to like distract Betsy and get her to stop playing practical jokes, is like, let's have a contest and see who can swing the highest. And Betsy immediately forgets that she rigged the seat for Claudia to fall and so they're swinging and swinging and Claudia's at like the highest apex she can get to the seat gives out and she falls and she breaks her leg wow Um, and it like you remember this one oh yeah this one in so much detail um I think there's some point in the book I can't remember if it's before this happens or after because it seems pretty mean if it would be after but some of the other babysitters decide to play a trick on Betsy to, like, teach her a lesson, quote-unquote. It must be before she does it to Claudia because Cla- I remember her being so distraught over what happens to Claudia and, like, coming to visit her in the hospital and, like, crying over how badly she feels that she's the one that caused Claudia to break her leg. So I can't imagine that the babysitters would then be like, ha, yes. <laughs> ha, ha, let's let's play tricks on this child. Um, but I don't remember what the tricks are, and they're probably not that bad, but... Um, yes, clearly I have very distinct memories of this one. I don't remember if Cokie Mason is there, though, so that'll be a surprise if she shows up. <laughs> well, now I, I am very excited. I don't know why I had Alan Gray in my head, but I was really, really confident about Alan Gray. I was like, I feel Ooh. like Alan Gray is your Cokie Mason. It not might, not to be. the same degree, but like you have a very like strong affinity for Alan Gray. I and it, it again it goes back to and we've had this discussion. It is. 99.999% movie based mm-hmm. movie Alan Gray I loved to the point where my college roommate Sarah used to um, mercilessly mock me for my soft spot for him so it again it probably had very little to do with actual character Alan Gray and mostly to do with the fact that I had a crush on this cute kid who was in a movie <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes I think that Alan Gray is my Cokie Mason but not because again not because of the books but because of the movie so um, I cannot enough. wait. I cannot wait to see all of your predictions come true. And if they <laughs> even mention the name Alan Gray or baseball, I will feel vindicated. And that will be enough for me based on my. <laughs> like that's enough. Based, based on my memorance track record. So really what I'm finding is that I remember these books. I, I felt like I remembered them so vividly. And clearly I do not, it, which is very funny. But so any final club business? Uh, yes, actually, we do need to remind people where to find us. Um, okay, so yeah, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GenerationBSC, or you can email us at GenerationBSC at gmail.com. And with that, I'm Kate Vlasic. And I'm Lauren Hunter. And this episode of Generation BSC is now adjourned. Say hello to your friends.